I was talking with a young couple this week, last week, and the topic of love languages came up. And it reminded me, Julie and I first got introduced to that concept of love languages probably 25 years ago. Um, we, we, the, the concept goes something like this, that we all have intuitively ways that we express love to another. And often that's also the way that we would intuitively receive love, know that I am loved by another. When they do the same thing, that's my language. For instance, it might be the giving of simple gifts. And the giving of gifts communicates love so that I give gifts to others and they, they, when they give me a gift, it, it communicates love. It might be in time spent together. It might be in acts of service. It might be of, in words of love and affirmation. There are, there are several different ways that we express love. And one of the things that Julie and I learned is that we don't necessarily express love to one another in the same ways that are in our own language. Imagine a marriage relationship where you each spoke, husband and wife spoke a different language. We say, well, yeah, that's what marriage is, isn't it? Well, the trick is knowing the other language, isn't it? The, the, one of the things Julie and I discovered in the, in, the, in the mix of all that was that she understood love in time spent together. Uh, she understood that, that she was loved by someone who would spend intentional time with her. I communicated love through acts of serving. And so I would serve, I would do something for her. Ah, uh, you see it, instead of spending time with her. And so it's like we were kind of talking past each other. And when we figured this out, to adapt to the other's language in order to communicate love to them in ways that communicated, connected with them. Well, I was thinking of that as I was thinking this week about the um, Nehemiah chapter 12 and the principles of worship that we find there. That oftentimes, conversations about worship and what worship should be like, what worship should include, often it's a matter of our own preference, our own intuitive bent, our own way of expressing, instead of considering the other. How is it that God would desire that we express worship to him? Think of it as God has a love language. And I don't think it's simply a matter of God won't quite get it. He won't understand it from us if we don't express our worship and our love for him, our gratefulness to him in the ways that he has described. I think there's more than that. I think, I think he has given us ways of expressing our love and worship of him in ways that will also end up meaning the most to us in our relationship together. So in this chapter 12, we're going to see some principles of worship that are, think of it in terms of we want to communicate our worship to God in ways that God has described for us to communicate our worship to him. Think of it in terms of that well-known phrase by Saul who became Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Where, where Saul's response to the Lord, the risen Christ and his encounter with him is, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, 
You are the one whom worship is for. What, out of all the possibilities and things that I might want to do, Lord, what would you have? What is your will for our worship rather than our own? What would you have me, even in my own unique service of worship? Lord, what would you have me to do? Because worship is not only an emotion, it is an action. It is activity together. So I want us to consider, I want us to look for some principles of worship as we read in Nehemiah chapter 12. And those four principles, I've outlined them in the back of your, uh, in the back of your bulletin in the notes section already. They are that we worship together, that we worship individually, that we worship in purity, and that we worship gratefully. So together, individually, purity, and, and gratefully. We, we, we want to look for those as we read this section, and I'm going to uh, skip over, really, the first part of the chapter, because the first part of the chapter, with its long list of names, is intend to, intended to establish one key aspect, and that is when the people returned under Zerubbabel and, and, and Joshua the high priest, they worshipped in a particular way following patterns that had been established by David. And so the list starts in verse 1 with the priests and Levites who came with Zerubbabel and Joshua. And then it jumps down in verse 12 to the next generation. And there's another priest mentioned who is the son of Joshua. And so that next generation continues in those same patterns of worship, the same orders and structures, up into verse 22 in the days of Eliashib. There's a name we've heard before. Eliashib was mentioned. He and the priest joined in in the building of the wall in chapter 3. Eliashib is the high priest in the days of Nehemiah. So just as in those earlier days of the first return, so also in this generation under Nehemiah, several generations later, they are continuing in a pattern of worship, or they are reviving a pattern of worship that is a pattern that was given to them that they practiced when they first were restored by God, and when they now are, are continuing in, that goes all the way back to a pattern that was given to them by David. So then, let's jump in in verse 22. In the days of Eliashib, Jehoiada and Johanan and Jaduah, the Levites recorded as heads of the father's house, so too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi... Their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of Chronicles until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Joshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, Watch by watch. So you have part of the pattern that was given all the way back by David was that some of these Levitical singers, they would stand in two choirs opposite each other in the temple grounds and they would sing. And it was a beautiful sound together, those voices harmonizing together. And they would do this watch by watch all through the day and all through the night. And then there were others that are listed there who were the gatekeepers in verse 25, standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Joshua, the son of Jezodak, and 
Several generations later, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor of Ez- and of Ezra, the priest and the scribe. So as it was done before, so we're going to worship now in Nehemiah's day. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now this is not necessarily all chronological. This is probably sometime soon after the wall has been completed, they're going to dedicate the wall. At the dedication of that wall in Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the son of the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, from the villages all around, because the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. Verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They purified the people and the gates and the wall. They purified the people and they purified the work of their hands that God had helped them to do. And then verse 31, I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, And there's a whole bunch of others that are listed there. Verse 35, And certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, sons of Asaph, and his relatives, with musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went with them. And then verse 37, At the fountain gate they went up straight before them. By the stairs of the city of David, the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. And the other choir, there are two choirs, and they split up. One goes one way, one goes the other way. One goes south, this one goes north. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. And I and half of the officials were with me, and the priests with trumpets. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah, their leader, verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I said there were several principles here of worship. As God builds up a people of praise, what are some of the ways that we as his people would declare his praise and make his ways known to the people around about us? One of the first things you see as they organize this celebration, back in verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem. As they worship together, there is full participation. Levites are gathered, not only those who live in and near Jerusalem, not only those Levites that are on duty for that two-week cycle, but they gather all the others and say, well, come on, we're having a big party. We are going to have a big party together, and when we do, we, all of you need to be included in it. This is something we're celebrating, and we're going to praise the Lord together. Everybody is gathered together. And Nehemiah establishes two choirs opposite each other. The two choirs opposite each other are going to travel around the city. There's something going on there that connects back to that Levitical choral practice within the temple where you'd have two choirs. 
And the two groups or ensembles would, would face each other and they would sing together and the voice would blend in the midst of the worship of the altar. And that's happening within the temple courts. But now you have two choirs, and these two choirs are surrounding the city so that all of the city, all of Jerusalem becomes that temple where God's praise is made known by those who are facing one another in song. And it's not just the normal best of the, of the Levites singing. It is all the people who are together singing. The whole city is God's temple where God's praise and God's ways are going to be made known. In verse 43, we find that it was not just the Levites and the priests who made up this choir, these choirs that go around the city. Rather, the women and children also rejoiced. You know, there's something here that we could apply about family and worship together. It's a good thing to have family and worship together. It's a good thing to have, to have kids together. Now, we have children's ministries as well. We have Sunday school during the first hour. We have nursery and preschool and kindergarten available. But at the same time, it's also good when children are with their families in worship together, when children get to see their mom, dad, worshiping with a sincere heart. When children get to look and see their parents taking in God's word and responding to it. There's something good about family being in worship together, even as we are God's family together in worship. This worship was all-inclusive, that everyone rejoiced. And as everyone rejoiced together in verse 43, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. One of the reasons that everybody got involved and when they were all in it together, there, God's praise and God's ways were being made known beyond them to others. You know, your participation in worship also makes God's praise and God's ways known to others. That people even see you. You're perhaps... That family in the neighborhood that every Sunday morning while one of your neighbors is sitting there with their coffee looking out their window, they see you pile in the car and off you go to church. They notice that. They know that about you. They hear you being thankful even in times of trouble. They know you to be someone who prays. In fact, they've known you to be someone who will pray for them when you hear about a trouble that they're having. And your confidence, your faith in God overflows. It leaks out toward them. They hear you excited about something that God has done. And it overflows out of you such that they pick up on it. Just like in Jerusalem. When their joy in their God was heard by others far away. So it is in our own lives. When we are walking with our God in worship, it overflows to the people around us. They, the, this worship together was made up of individuals. It was made up of those who were different. You see that in the instruments. There, were, there was a harp and there was a bass harp. I didn't know there was a bass harp. There's a bass or cello or something here. There's guitar. There's bass guitar. And they had that there as well. There's the, there's the cymbals, the percussion section. There's the brass section. Did we have the brass section today, Evan? We talked about that. Where, what, the, what happened to the trumpets? We, we didn't have the trumpets. Maybe next week. 
There's all these different kind of instruments. You know, it takes different instruments to make an orchestra. And the different instruments together, each contributing unique sounds in harmony together, it makes a beautiful music. So it is with a choir. It takes many varied voices. It takes four different sections. There's the, the bass, the tenor. There's the alto and the soprano. You didn't know I knew that, did you? <laughs> did I get it right? I should, I should have asked that first. <laughs> but you know, you could have 40 sopranos and you don't have a choir. You have a section. You, you need all of those different voices together to bring out the song and the beauty of it. I think that foreshadows the many different gifts by the Holy Spirit in one body of Christ. That each of us serving in our service of worship. In fact, Paul in Romans 12, he describes your unique serving according to the way the Holy Spirit has gifted you. That that is your service of worship. And it's a beautiful thing when the body is in unity together in worship and service of our Lord, making his praise and his ways known to people around us. At the core of inspirational congregational shared worship is a diligent and devoted individual worship that follows God's word in his way. That way is a way of purity. You know, the psalm, the psalmist asks asks the question, who can ascend to the Lord's courts? Who is it, God, that can appear in your presence? Whose hands are clean enough? Whose heart is pure enough? And the answer in ourselves would be none of us. Who can ascend to your presence? Well, when Israelites would go up to Jerusalem, when they would seek to ascend the Lord's presence, when they would seek to climb that holy hill toward the temple, and there in the temple worship the Lord their God, they would typically come by way of the south of the city, and they would come in the first century to this pool of Siloam. And the pool of Siloam was a large terraced pool. So depending on the level of the water, you could still step down into the water And then you could dunk yourself down and under. You could immerse yourself. You could ceremonially cleanse yourself. It wasn't that they needed to cleanse themselves from the dust and the smells of travel. That was not the point. But in doing so, in this ceremonial cleansing, they were declaring themselves people who needed to be made clean in order to come into God's presence. That's what John the Baptist was calling Israel to as the forerunner of Jesus. He was inviting them to be baptized, to immerse themselves in the Jordan, in that they would be clean. Now, the Jordan's a dirty, muddy river. It wasn't the matter of the water making them clean. And when we baptize today, it's not the water that makes anybody clean. Peter makes that very clear. But, but baptism now cleanses us by the appeal of our conscience in faith to God. That we, we unite ourselves, we join ourselves with Jesus in his death for us going under the water. That Jesus died for me, for my guilt, for my sin, my shame to make me clean. And so we raise up out of that water of baptism, able to walk now in new life. 
That's what's going on there. That's that purifying. It's, it's connected back to this ceremonial washing that Israel would understand. That if they're going to worship God, they're going to worship it in purity. And so when we come to worship, even as Jesus told his disciples in the order of the towel, John chapter 13, Jesus comes around one by one and he's going to wash their feet. They've already been made clean, he tells Peter. They're made clean by their faith in Jesus. And yet as we walk around in this world, we still get our feet dirty, don't we? The priest in the temple, there was this large water basin next to the altar and the basin was for the washing of the priest hands and feet while they carried out the ministry of sacrifice their hands would get dirty along the way and so do ours and we need our feet washed by Jesus we need ongoing cleansing when we come together in worship or when you when you come before the lord yourself in your own devotional time of worship do you pause and pray Something in your heart that you're aware of. Some guilt that lingers that the Holy Spirit brings to mind that you need to confess and be cleansed of. Or perhaps the enemy is accusing again and you need to again refresh your soul by reminding yourself, claiming again and standing upon the cleansing by God in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you come to church and worship as a, a habit, but maybe you've never connected that coming to church with the need of being made clean. Who can ascend to the Lord's presence? Who can come before the holy God? Only one who's been made clean by faith in Jesus Christ. And so First John chapter 1 and verse 9 reminds us of that, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That too is part of our being prepared to come and worship our God. And so then, in light of his cleansing, in light of his, his forgiveness, we worship gratefully. Here's the, here's the core of these two choirs. These two choirs seem to begin at the valley gate on one side of the city, and one group goes to the south, the other group goes to the north, and they are walking around on the ramparts of the wall. Did you catch that? In verse 31, I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. They're not going around the wall down below. They are up on top of the wall. If you come to Jerusalem today, you can, you, you can do the same thing on the wall that surrounds the old city today. Here's a picture of it. There's somebody, in fact, I think, I think that's Robin Jesse there on the ramparts. There she is doing the Nehemiah 12. You can do this if you come to Jerusalem. You can see, well, soldiers on top of the wall would need to move along in one place to another. You know, get a good sniper location. Well, here, on top of the wall, it is so sturdy... So solid that not merely one person, but a whole group, a, a, a mass of people, one side and the other, can fill this wall, going in procession around it. It looks something like this. I have a diagram. So the, so the water gate where they seem to start is over on, or not the water gate, the valley gate, is up there on the top kind of mid-left of the picture. And one group, of, one group goes to the south first, 
And they go down to the bottom of the city, and then they come up the other side, all the way around the yellow line, and they come into the temple at the north end. The other group from the valley gate goes north. I think the yellow group, the yellow choir, I think that's the youth choir. They've got longer to go. They're going to be going further uphill, okay? Then the other group, some of the, well, some of Dale Goods crowd, they're, they're going to start at the other at the other gate, and they're going to go to the north. It's not as far to go, okay? And they, they, but they all join together there into the temple courts in the presence of God. That's what's happening. On top of the walls, on top of the walls, they are celebrating, look what God has done. Do you remember in chapter 4, just after everybody jumps in and they together, they all join in, and this broken part, and this breach, this gap in the wall, and they jump in all around the city, and each one does their part. And the opposition watches this, and they say, oh, look at them. Look what they're trying to do. Their, their efforts are so feeble. They don't know what they do, and they've got priests and perfumers out there trying to build a wall. Their wall's, their wall's a mess. In fact, even if a little, light, fluffy fox were to jump on that wall, the whole thing would come crashing down. Remember when they said that? Well, look what God has done. A couple months earlier, Nobody could have made this circuit around the wall because of all the gaps in it, all the holes in it. Now they can go all the way around the whole city. The wall is done. Look what God has done. Not only that, but they can, they can bring these two mass choirs together. They can all go marching around the wall. They can stomp their feet. They can jump up and down. They have all of these people together. It weighs a little more than a fox. And none of it falls down. Look what God has done. Come join us, in fact. Come join us and walk in, walk on the firm, solid, stable ground of what our God has done for us. Look what God has done. That's the purpose here. They're worshiping gratefully. They are celebrating. They are, when God told Abraham to, to walk out in the land, wherever you put your feet, I'm going to give to you. Abraham's a man of faith. Abraham should have been traveling all over, right? Because everywhere he put his feet, God was going to give him. They are stepping into it in the same way here. Everywhere they put their feet is ground that they are saying, God has done this. This is built. This is solid. This ain't coming down. If you go to Jerusalem today, there are places where you can still see the wall that Nehemiah rebuilt. And some of the brickwork doesn't look so good, if you remember that photo I showed you. Some of the brickwork doesn't look good at all, and yet it still stands. Look what God has done. They are celebrating what God has done. Grateful worship flows out of God's working and God's restoration. You know, I was thinking about this, these choirs, these circling around the wall, and the shouting of praise, and the blowing of trumpets. I thought, wait a minute, we've come across that before. Where has that happened before? At Jericho. When God's people walked around the wall at Jericho and they shouted God's praise and they blew the trumpets and the walls fell down. And God gave them the victory. But since then, what has happened? 
Well, God gave David victory in this Jerusalem, this impregnable city where his men somehow miraculously were able to go under and through the walls by the water channels and get interest in the city and open the gates and, and, and God gives them the city. But since that time, something else has happened. And their own walls, not the walls of Jericho, but the walls of Jerusalem came tumbling down. They were broken down. And Israel, God's people, had departed from God. And so God allowed them to be taken away into exile. But now they have been returned. Now they have been restored. And God has rebuilt up this city as the place where his praise and his ways will be made known. Because he has built up this people as the ones who, through their praise and his ways, their God will be made known. This is a matter of look what God has done. Israel was broken down. Jerusalem was broken down and God has restored them. They are giving thanks to what God has done in rebuilding the wall and God rebuilding them into a people of praise who again give praise and glory to God instead of all the other gods of the nations that they had turned to. Look what God has done. Now those are stories from them. That's history in Israel and Jerusalem. And what does it have to do with us? Maybe this. Peter says that like those broken down stones in Jerusalem, and just imagine them in your mind's eye for a minute. Imagine the wall broken as it was. There's a couple of pictures in your bulletin that show bro on the front page that show broken sections of wall. Imagine wall broken down. Imagine stones lying in the field covered with moss and dirt abandoned. And then being regathered, restored, rebuilt. And Peter in chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as God's spiritual house. God is taking broken people like us. And he is building us together into his temple, into his house, where his praise and his ways will be made known and as we worship others around us will hear it and can know him as well in our lives as we worship God's praise and God's ways can be made known as I go back to that closing line in verse 43 that the joy of God's people will be heard far away. You know, we're going to step into that a little more this morning. We're going to celebrate God's, God's praise and his ways. And we're going to sing more songs, several more songs. We're going to celebrate in testimonies of particular things that God has done among his people even today. And, and our hearts as we give glory and worship to God, our own hearts are going to remind it. They're going to be strengthened. So that out of our hearts, out of our lives, praise would overflow. That others would know the name and the ways of our God and our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us.
Lord, we thank you for this record of what you did long ago. But Father, also that you have gathered us like stones cast aside, laying in a field covered with dust and dirt and moss, abandoned of no good use. And yet we are the ones then who you would choose and collect and lovingly regather and build into your own house and family of worship. So, Father, hear our praise this morning. Be pleased by it. And, Father, as our hearts are released in your forgiveness and overflow in gratefulness to you, Lord, would you lift our own hearts and souls. Would you strengthen us, encourage us as your people to make your ways known. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.